Well, good morning, New Life family. Welcome. Good welcome. morning. Welcome. Good morning to you. Multi-generational, everybody. Hello. Good morning to you on the patio. We're glad to have you here. And for those of you who are attending for the first time, uh, we'd love to get to know you a little bit more. And if you could join us out at the, any one of the connection booths, uh, we have a free gift for you. So come on out. Yeah, we're, uh, Ken and I, I don't know a lot of, I know, I don't know a lot of you here on the second service because we usually go nine, but uh, Ken and I met here at our church and got married two years ago, and um, it was a really exciting time, and we finally got to get to our honeymoon this last month, and that was in Italy. So we were so excited to do that, so we miss coming here, we're traveling a little bit, and so I, I love it that when I ask Kent about Italy, he sums it up in one word. Delicious. <laughs> so, yes. Speaking of delicious, uh, this Wednesday is our last Wednesday uh, class, and it um, it's a dinner first, so we'd love to have you. And um, please sign up, and you'll see in the bulletin more information. Uh, and that is the subject I think that they're talking about is like spiritual um, healthy habits and something like that. So come on out and we'll see you there on, on the last Wednesday. And speaking of that, uh, just with the new year, we decided, well, let's try some Christian yoga. And so... Downward dog, it's about as far as I can go. <laughs> so last week, uh, the instructor uh, brought up a verse from Ephesians 3, 18, 19, and then later in the morning we started to read our devotional and it was Ephesians 3 18 19 so I wanted to read that to you if I may and uh, let me get situated here here we go it says uh, may we have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Great promise. So, yeah. so That's with for you. That, yeah. So with that, if you could please stand and prepare your hearts for worship. And welcome. Good morning.
so this morning we're gathering with other churches that are looking at this Sunday and recognizing this Sunday as the Sanctity of Life Sunday. And we do celebrate and we do worship a Lord that is holy and none is holier than he and he is the giver of life, the creator of life. And we acknowledge that we are the created and he is the creator. And on this Sunday, we gather together because we recognize that not only is he the creator, but we live in a broken world. We live in a world in which there is sin and we fall short and just things are scary. And in this day and age, we live in a world in which people are so isolated. Whether married or single, people find themselves lonely without a village of people, without support. And so on this Sunday, we come together as the church, no matter where we're located. And we acknowledge that there is a time and a place where people are struggling to make a determination about what to do about pregnancy. That there are people who are finding themselves alone and desperate and trying to make a decision about whether to keep a child or not. And that we know that adoption is an option and abortion is something that we deal with every day. And when we're alone and when we're scared and when we don't know what to do and we don't have anybody speaking into our lives, supporting us, encouraging us, then it's a battle that we have. And so on this Sunday, we come together to pray for those who are affected by abortion. And you know what? God is not just the God of those who are affected by abortion. He is the God of all life. Sanctity of life means that we also are here as the church coming together to help those who are dealing with this decision, who have had to make that decision, for those who deal with domestic violence, for those who deal with abuse, who feel like their life today is better off not living anymore. He is the God of all life and he makes it perfect and in his image. And so this morning I'm asking you to join me in prayer as we lift up those in our community and we lift up those agencies and those who are willing to walk alongside those who are struggling and who are hurting and who are scared and are alone. So Father, we come before you right now. We thank you, Lord, that you are the creator of life and that you are holy. And there is no one holier or more powerful or greater than you. Father, we come to you as the church, as brothers and sisters, as your family. And we acknowledge, Lord, that you are calling us to walk side by side with the broken with the hurting, with the scared, with those who do not know what decision to make and who are faced with things that maybe are life altering, Lord, that you call us to be the light in the darkness in a broken world. But we can only be the light if we come to you first and fill our lives with your truth. We live according to your spirit. And so this morning, Lord, we thank you for places like Lifeline. We thank you for those who are willing, who are called to walk alongside, to maybe be in that room as a woman is trying to make a decision about what to do, Lord. And we just ask blessings upon them. And we pray, Lord, that if you are stirring in our hearts, that you would move us to continue to support and be there and to open our eyes and to be there for the lives that are hurting and don't know you or are missing the message that hope is only found in you. We thank you that you are always on the move and we give our lives to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. May we continue worshiping him.
Father, we thank you, God. Lord, you are the one that our hearts adore. God, we just bless your holy name. You are worthy of our praise. And all God's people say, amen. Peace, guys. So as we were singing that last song, I felt like God just kept answering back to me with this verse that he has given me this year, which is mightier than the sea is his love for you and his love for me. And um, I've been so thankful for that verse this week as um, I had something happen in my family where God just met me with that verse, with his love. So I hope you all today know that you are so loved by God. And I would love to invite the ushers forward to receive the offering. And this is um, something that we do where we're able to partner in just a little way with God and what he's doing here at New Life and Beyond. And we thank you for your generosity. And as Pastor Gina was talking about in her prayer about Lifeline, I wanted to share a story and just an opportunity with you that recently I was talking with a friend and her daughter who had been blessed by by Lifeline, and I was asking her, how did you know to go to Lifeline? And she said it went back to when her daughter was young, and that they used to collect the coin in the bottles here at church at Awana's for Lifeline. So when her daughter was pregnant, she remembered that. They remembered that, and they went to Lifeline, and um, they both were just telling me of how much help and practical help and what to expect and how a counselor just started doing life with them. And I was asking the daughter about it. And she was just sharing again that she was three, three months pregnant when she started going and she was overwhelmed. And the number one thing that stood out to her was that she was not judged, that she was met right where she was at. And how the counselor now has become part of her village. And we all need people in our village, right? And this person, and she has the most beautiful baby boy. And it's just so cool when you think about how God first used that, the bottle way back that he already knew and had gone before and just loved on this family. And so I just want to invite you after service to go back, talk to Lifeline, and um, they even threw her a baby shower. And that there's ways that um, for us to be able to love and support um, our young women and people going through stuff and go back. They have bottles. Um, I do know they ran out after the first service and they are bringing more, but it's a way to connect with them and talk with them about ways that we can serve and join in and to continue to pray for them. So I also wanted to share um, share today that we're celebrating this last week. On Thursday, we started all of our Bible studies for the year. And I'm somebody, I always really liked the first day of school. Like, I like all the new books. I like the videos. I like knowing who's at my table. Like that. So I love when anything starts for the season. And we had hundreds of people here on Thursday. And it was just so exciting to see people find their studies and find their people. And I just want to tell you that week two is not too late. And if you would like to join one of our studies, I'd love to talk to you at Connections on the patio after service. So would you just take a few moments just to prepare your heart for what God has for you today? Good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. I know that we probably have people out on the patio. I want to say good morning to you and online. And I just think it's awesome. I always enjoy the idea and just knowing that we choose to come together 
to worship God, to read his word, to basically put ourselves in his presence and become the people and press in to become the people he's called us to be. And so we're in a series, this is the third week, uh, Pastor David had led us the first two weeks in a series called Living with the End in Mind. And in doing that, uh, David has been uh, looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. Now we haven't really been going verse by verse or chapter by chapter, but we've been looking at this book and reading what the teacher has to tell us. And it's been an interesting couple weeks. I don't know about you, but it's been challenging. For some people, I know this has been a new text for them. They hadn't read it before. For me, it's added a little bit of a reflection backwards. So when I, I accepted Christ when I was in my mid-20s. And when I became a Christian, I was at a place in life where I was extremely desperate for anything to change, or I was extremely desperate for it to just end. And I, my volleyball coach actually came to me and said, do you know Jesus as the Lord and Savior? And I was like, I don't, I don't know. And I think he took that as, a, I'm going to take that as a no. And so um, he asked me if I wanted Jesus to be my Savior. And I remember him talking about, you know, your sins are forgiven and you're going to go to heaven. And I was like, oh, okay. I am all about not going to hell, so I am going to say yes. And so I felt like, yes, I am accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. I have punched my ticket to heaven, and this is awesome. But what happened was, is after I became a Christian, a lot of people started saying, hey, you need to start reading your Bible. Like, you need to grow as a person and understand what it means to be saved. And so it was recommended to me, and we do this nowadays. We also recommend to people to read. But it was instantly recommended that I read the Gospel of Mark. Like, that be the very first book I read. Supposedly, it's simple and short, and I would get to the point. After I finished that, it was read the Gospel of John. It's got a little more depth to it. Read it. I read that, and then I was told to read Romans. And I really remember this day where I was like, I'm tired of asking everybody else what I should read. I technically don't even like to read, but I knew I should try to read my Bible. And it occurred to me that every book that people recommend was only in the New Testament. And so being the young, very mischievous, immature person I was, I instantly went to, what are you trying to keep from me? Like, why does no one ever recommend the Old Testament? So I opened up the Old Testament, went flipping through. I can't really tell you why I picked Ecclesiastes, probably because I couldn't pronounce it. It had a lot of letters in it, and I didn't know what it meant. So I probably picked it for that reason. But I remember opening it up, and I kid you not, I thought, this is the book everyone should be reading. Like, I hit a pot of gold, because in verse 2 of the very first chapter, it says, everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless, exclamation mark. And I remember thinking to myself, yes, it is. It is totally meaningless. Like, and I agreed, and I was like, this is the best book. This is the only real person in this Bible. <laughs> I was like, we should have all people read this, and maybe they'll come to Jesus like you wanted me to come to Jesus. And I was like, it is meaningless. I shouldn't have to work. I don't think there's a point to it. We're just doing our thing, spinning our wheels. Well, back then, I was extremely immature and didn't have a whole lot of insight into how to read the Bible. The lens I read the Bible through was one that was basically looking to put a gold star on what my truth was. So the filter I read everything through was to just kind of put, like, a, affirm what I had been through and, like, affirm me. Well, fast forward to today... And in these last couple of weeks as we've read Ecclesiastes, there's something that I've truly appreciated about New Life Church and the teaching team and Pastor David. And that is that we believe that all of us should learn to read scripture, not just taking it word for word, 
but learning the context and the meaning and the culture that it was written by and the time it was written. And then what we've learned in these last two weeks is that that word meaningless did not mean what I, young version of me, made it, which is pointless and lame, but that the word meaningless is actually the word hevel. And Pastor David taught us that the word hevel actually means vapor or smoke. And that everything that we can collect in life, the money that we gain, the the notoriety, the titles, the careers, whatever it is we do in this lifetime is vapor. We have it and then it's gone. And then he took it a, a step further and said, even though, you know, we're in the new year, For all of you who are setting out new plans, and it's like you think you're going to come up with this new way of life, and I'm going to figure out life, we figure out it's hevel, it's vapor. We don't really know anything more than we did the day before. That our life here on earth under the sun, which is one of the phrases you read in Ecclesiastes, is temporary. Everything is vapor and not eternal. The other thing we've learned, and I don't know about you guys, the amount of times we've been reminded that we're gonna die has been a lot in the last two weeks. Like, how many, I think it's a record for me. I don't think I've been told this many times that I am going to die in church as I have in these last two weeks. But we are, we're all going to die. That life is just for a time period and we are a small piece of God's story. But there was something that I want to bring to this morning that David had brought up at the end of his very first week of preaching this sermon series. And that is he asked us, he challenged us to do something. He said, I want you to consider writing your own eulogy. Writing your own eulogy. And if you don't know what a eulogy is, it's usually a, it's a speech or it's a writing that gives praise to the person or to, some, or to something. So in other words, what would you praise yourself for? What would you say about yourself? What would you write and what would other people say about you? And I've talked to a few people who have talked about the whole eulogy thing and they're like, no, I'm not doing it. Like, I don't wanna talk about death. A lot of us like to avoid that whole subject. So there's those people who are like, I haven't even tried. I have some other people who have said that they have tried and it's been challenging, really challenging because they just realize there's a lot of things in this world that pull us that we strive for, and it's just really hard to figure out what to write. And then I gotta say, there are those people who have just taken it by the horns, they have literally written their own eulogy, they've added music, and their whole funeral is planned. So there are those people, there's everybody. But see, I think this eulogy thing is important because when David said it, I instantly flashed back to many years ago. I think I've been here at New Life now for 15, 16 years. And most of the time I spend my time as a therapist. And so I remember a few years into being here at New Life, a man came into my office. He was super stressed out. Like it was just something that he was having a hard time at work, relationships, everything. Somehow though, I don't remember how we got on the subject, but we started talking about this eulogy idea. What would people say about him when he left? And he knew exactly what he was gonna say. He knew exactly what he would say about himself and what other people would say about him. He was a hard worker, he was rich, he was going to leave his children everything, making them richer and greater than everyone around them, and then he was funny. That's, he was as serious as they come. And you know, I'm on a church campus in a Christian counseling office, and I was like, he didn't say anything about God. But honestly, what he said was not an exaggeration, because the reason why he was in my office is because those things that he was striving for were driving his behaviors. They were influencing his relationships. They were totally polluting his thought process. 
Because the more he worked harder and harder and harder, the more he had less relationship with his family members. The more he tried to be funny and everyone was trying to get to know him, the more he put up walls and he never had any deep relationships. And it was crazy because he was very wealthy, but it wasn't enough. He just kept striving for more and more and more, and he was so stressed out. And so what we find is, is that what we would write about ourselves, what we strive for today, what we put value on, it drives our behaviors. It drives our thought process. It affects our relationships. And the Bible addresses this. In the New Testament, in the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter six, it reads like this. It says, don't store up your treasures here on earth, where moths eat them and rust, rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And that's exactly what I saw with this gentleman, and it's exactly what I see with all, all of us. We all are driven by something. We all are seeking after something, and it affects what we do and how we achieve it and what we think about and who we relate to and who's in and who's out. And so when Pastor David asks us to write our eulogy, I think the reason why it's hard is not just that we don't like to talk about death, but it's because I think we acknowledge the fact that we strive for a lot of things that are not of the kingdom of God. And we find ourselves in this tug of war. So as we dive into Ecclesiastes this morning, we're gonna be in chapter three. I want us to remember that and I want us to remember one other thing. That is that David also said that if we could love the limitations in our lives, that to live fully alive means that, to live fully alive in Jesus means that we are living in the present. And I 100% agree with him. I would have yelled amen, but I'm really introverted and I don't do that. So I was like, yes, living in the present. Because think about it, to live fully alive means that you have to be right here, right now. Present, aware of what's going around you. Because the thing is, is we can only control our responses, our reactions. We can only respond to things in this moment. Amen. But most of the time we find people planning for the future all the time. I talk to people who are full of anxiety because they are so concerned about what's to come, trying to keep everything good and peaceful and just everyone being happy with them. Like we're all supposed to be happy machines. But when we spend so much time in the future, we become an anxious people. When we reminisce about the past and get stuck and replay over and over and over again what was, we become really depressed. So the only way to live fully alive is to be right here, right now. But there's something about loving the limitations that's gonna to apply to this morning. And the reason why I want you to remember the eulogy and living in the limitations and loving them is because it will change the lens in which we view scripture. It'll change the filter in which we see each other and it'll affect the filter in which our, how we view our relationship with us and God. See, the whole point of even coming here this morning is because we hopefully have the desire to have that filter changed and that we see things the way God sees things, that we treat each other the way God asks us to treat each other, that we own the identity that he tells us of who we are in his word. 
And so this morning, we're going to start in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter three, and we're gonna start at verse one. And we're gonna bounce around it a little bit, but verse one says this. And the, the teacher writes this poem, one through eight, and he sets up not only a beautiful poem that most of you have heard, but he also sets up a problem for us to wrestle with. And so it reads like this. For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to turn away. A time to search and a time to quit searching. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be quiet and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Now I know most of you probably have the song playing in the back of your head as you're reading it. You can hear the music. Because many of us have heard these words whether it's through a song or whether it's been at a funeral, we've heard these words. Because these words are true. There is a season. We go through all of these seasons. All of us will experience some of this at some point in our lives. You don't have to believe in God to know this to be true. But see, I think what happens is, is we know this to be true, but what happens is if you don't believe in the Lord, you forget and ignore the first couple, sent first couple verses where it says, for everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven. See, the last two weeks we've heard about under the sun, talking about under our lives here on earth, but under heaven is under eternity, where God is in heaven and that he's put everything in place and there is a perfect time and a perfect way of doing things and he set these cycles and these seasons in order that this is his divine plan and that it's perfect. And that there is nothing that we can do about the cycles and the seasons that he has set. He is, it's his grand design. And in this time, he says, not only did he set this, but there it is again, a time to be born and a time to die. If you haven't heard it enough, you're gonna die. Our life is short. Like Pastor David said, we are a part of God's greater story. Our time here on earth is, is like vapor, but God is eternal. And so those limitations, those boundaries, we live within the fact that we are born and we will die and that there are these cycles and these seasons that are set. But I want you to notice something about this. There is a ups and a downs in this poem. When he sets the seasons and the cycles, it's not all just good. Sometimes we look at it as good and bad, but I don't know that I could say that. There is positive and there is negative. But you know, when there's a time to speak and a time to be quiet, both of those could be good if they're done the right way. The thing is, is that as a people, and especially in our society, we have a tendency to want to ignore the difficult, the tough. You know, we're good with there's a time to dance and a time to laugh, but we're not good with there's a time to mourn or a time for war. But the thing is, is that we don't have any power over changing that. And sometimes I th see people spinning their wheels trying to make life just okay. 
I actually have people tell me I don't do conflict. How? How do you not do conflict? Like, people are messy. We don't all agree. We can't read the scriptures and not agree. How do you not do conflict? Thing is, is by avoiding conflict, by avoiding the difficult, we're almost saying to God, I'm okay with where I'm at right here. I don't want to grow anymore. We can't grow without challenge. We can't grow without the difficulties of life. Because you know what? When we're good, the majority of us would, don't raise your hand, but the majority of us would raise your hand and say, yeah, I seem to struggle to pray when things are good. I seem to struggle to forget to just come to him and ask for anything or to give him praise because it's good. We forget about him. It's like we're good. We come to him when things are bad. We are on our knees crying out to him. We're wondering why he's not answering our prayers. We're asking other people to pray for us when it's bad. Because it's in those times, for whatever reason, we think we only need him. But this poem is letting us know that we need him all the time. There isn't a time that we don't need him and that the Christian life includes the ups and downs. When I became a Christian, I'm pretty sure I thought it would just be easier. By accepting Jesus as Lord, had to have had like an easy life perk. It didn't have that. It still doesn't have that. But there is one thing I love about this writing. And that is, we live in this limitation of time. We're trapped between birth and death. But God's not trapped by time. He's eternal. And see, I read one author and he said, when you realize that God's not trapped by time, when you realize this is his design, his divine design, that we have no power, we can't change the seasons, we can't prevent them, we have no control, that that actually should bring us hope. And maybe that's a weird concept. But think about it. We worship a God who is never out of control. We worship a God who never says oops. We worship a God who doesn't, he never scratches his head and he's like, I didn't see that coming. We worship a God whose plan is in place and it is perfect and it is in the right time. And we worship a God who is always aware of what's going on, who sees the beginning and the end. Always. And we place our hope in a God who is not like us. See, church, we, it's not our responsibility. We don't have to make everything okay. We don't have to make it all good for everybody. We don't have to figure it all out. God's got it. What we have to do is bring our lives to him. What we have to do is declare him Lord and come to him and say, make me more like you. Help me react and be the person that you want me to be right here, right now. See, I think this is powerful, and when I, was when I was studying it, I realized everyone knows these words, but I wonder how many people realize that these words are not just seasons. This is God's divine plan, and that he has a purpose for everything he does, and we have no power to change it, but we have hope and a belief, and we stand on a foundation that for everything there is a reason. And what I love is, is that the, the writer, the teacher doesn't leave us hanging there with just this problem, with this, hey, guess what? You don't have any power. This is just the way it is. 
He goes on to kind of answer the problem and to give us a solution, to change the lens of our eyes about how we view life. He says in verse nine, what do people really get for all their hard work? I have seen the burden God has placed on us all, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. See, he says, I see it. I see the burden that's been placed on us. We live in this short amount of time. We have this tug of war between following his will and wanting to do the things of this world. I see the burden that we can't see the big picture. That we know we have purpose and identity in him, but we can't see it all. And I know that stresses some people out. They want to see it all. In our society today, we equate knowing everything with trust. How many, time do we, how many times do we tell other people, well, if you tell me everything, then I'll trust you? How many times do we say to people, well, they left that out, so now I don't trust you anymore? And you're thinking, well, that's person to person, but you know what? How we treat one another is usually how we treat the Lord. So part of what we have to do is hold on tight and embrace the truth that we are not going to know the whole picture, that we can never grasp it, but he doesn't leave us empty. He fills in our lives that everything is made beautiful in its own time, and he's planted eternity in our hearts. He's made everything beautiful. He is the creator. He has created the heavens and the earth. He has created you and I, and it is all beautiful. And I don't mean it's all pretty. I know we can go out now on the central coast now we've had rain finally, and we look at the hills and we're like, man, they are green, and it is beautiful. But it's not just beautiful as in you look amazing. It is that you are created in his image that everything he has put in place is where it should be, that it is perfect. When was the last time you embraced that you are beautiful? Some people scoff at that idea, but your creator says you are beautiful. All things he has made is beautiful for its own time. And then I love this part where he says he planted eternity in the human heart. He planted eternity. And I thought to myself, what does that even mean? And then as you study it, you realize we all have a longing for something more. And in this world, we're always trying to fill it with anything and everything. But if we didn't all have the longing, we wouldn't be trying to stuff it with stuff. We have this longing for more. There's got to be more than this day in and day out. There's got to be more than what we see in this broken world. And there is. There is eternity. There is this desire to be with God, to be fulfilled and created and made more and to be with our creator. We can fill it with whatever we want, but the truth is it is from God. This deep desire that we have in the human heart. And that desire comes and it's gonna stay there even though we will never know the whole picture from beginning to end. We have to be able to live in the limits and know that we are the created and he is the creator. And that's okay. 
that if we can embrace that, then we can see that what God is offering us and what God creates is eternal. And when we embrace that, we realize that the things of this world are not going to fulfill us. We will stop chasing the things that they say make us famous and wealthy and well-rounded or whatever, fill in the blank. See, as believers, we want our identity rooted in him. And so that desire is to chase what's eternal, not temporary. But it takes faith. Faith means we have to trust in what we don't see. And for some of us, that is really hard. Without the whole picture, we ask ourselves, can I really trust God? I have some people who will tell me, if he would just show me a little bit more, then maybe I'd be on board. Well, if he showed you everything, then what's the point of having him? See, the, the more the society grows and the more it tries to fix itself, the more we start turning away from God and thinking that we've got this and we don't. We're fooling ourselves. Trust is hard. But you know what? We also trust, we have to trust God that every season that comes, he's there for us. We have to believe that he's never gonna leave us hanging. We have to stand firm in who we are. And that's what he's asking us to do. And that's what he's telling us to do is to look at this life through a lens of eternity. He goes on in verse 14 and he says, and I know that whatever God does is final. Nothing can be added to it or taken from it. God's purpose is that people should fear him. What is happening now has happened before. And what will happen in the future has happened before. Because God makes the same things happen over and over again. The cycle happens. God's plan is set. And we cannot add or take away from any of it, anything of it which I think should bring comfort because that means none of us or anyone out in that world can alter God's plan. There is no power greater than God, the creator. And he says that our purpose is to fear him. And I don't want you to look at that word fear and be like we should cower or be too afraid to talk to him or come to him. It's not that fear. We should be in awe of him. We should honor him. He should be at the highest place of our priority list. He should be the one we come to because he is the creator, because he has no flaws, because everything is beautiful and set in its time. See, the more we learn to love the limits, the more we embrace the fact that there is a beginning and an end, then as we mature and as we grow, we don't desire to grow powerful we don't desire to grow richer. We don't desire to be more of something here on earth. Instead, we grow small. Because maturity means that he is great and we are small. He is the creator and we are the created. See, one of the things that I wanted to make sure that we kept in our minds is that we're living with the end in mind, the title of this whole series. Because the seasons that we read in the first eight verses, they're not the only season that there is. There is also the season of judgment. And the teacher talks about that in verse 16 and 17. He says, I also noticed that under the sun, there is evil in the courtroom. Yes, even the court 
precepts of law are corrupt. I said to myself, in due season, God will judge everyone, both good and bad, for all their deeds. See, to be a people who live under heaven in eternity, who focus our minds on the end, that there is greater and that all that God has, is that we embrace the fact that we will be judged. Living with the end in mind alters the way we view how we live life. Because if we know we're going to be judged, then that means there's accountability. See, when I first became a Christian and I was super excited about going to heaven and someone said, your sins are washed away, I was like, I don't have to be accountable for nothing. And I can do it again. Like as kind of that immature state that I was in because I was missing hope. I was missing the whole concept that my life was now going to be lived for my Lord. And that's what he's calling all of us to do. He is calling all of us to remember that there is judgment, both good and bad. That this life is not it, but there is eternity. In Hebrews 9, 27 to 28, it says this. And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment, so also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting in him. See, we will die once and we will meet our Lord and we will be judged. But what I wanna highlight in this more than anything is that Christ came for all of us, for the entire world, for all of creation. God gave his son. And I think sometimes we come in here and I know people come from every walk of life, every level of faith from none to I've been doing this forever. But the truth is, is that sometimes we only hear the message that you need to be saved. And if you're like me at all, salvation was great because I would go to heaven, but it wasn't impacting what was gonna happen here and now, which is that life was dumb and I didn't like it. But the truth is, is that as we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, and we put our lives in his hands, and we live right here, right now, we begin to live for him. We are concerned with his will and who he says we are, and we strive to become a people, the church, brothers and sisters who are looking to be light in the darkness. So what I wanna do right now as we end the service is I want to, we're gonna invite everyone to the table. We're gonna have communion together. We have an open table, so everyone is welcome. But what I want you to do is we're gonna, you're gonna exit my right, your left, and we're gonna come out and take it, but please hold it until the end because we're meant to break bread together. And so may you sit with yours and think and pray and press in to the Father who loves you.
as we wait for those who are still gathering, I just want to remind us that I know we take communion because he says to do it in remembrance of him. And then we do what we are asked. But we also take communion because we are a people of hope. Because we can celebrate and give thanks for the salvation and for the new life that Jesus gives us. We also take communion because we are a people who are waiting for him to come back and believe that he will come back. And that we are the people of the in-between. The people who know we didn't get to meet him, we've never seen him, but we 100% believe he will come back. And so this morning, as we break bread together, may we own our identity in Christ because we do this not as a task to check off a list, but we do this because we wanna be obedient and because we are his children. So Christ took the bread and he broke it. And he said, take this bread and eat in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he said, he took the cup he said, this is, the cup is my new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you. Drink and remember me. As we close, will you stand with me? My prayer for all of us this morning is that we walk out of here embracing and knowing that we have hope in Jesus. That if you need prayer this morning, that we will be a people that would come forward and allow someone else to pray with us, that we would give voice to the struggles, to the needs, even to the joy. Maybe you're coming forward because you have praise, because you have a life that you just wanna spend time giving praise to the one who has helped you and guided you in this life. The other thought is, is we have Lifeline in the back in the lobby. And we do, we want you to go back there and see everybody and grab a baby bottle and fill it. But I know there's probably people in here who are being stirred. That stirring in your heart that maybe you're called to do more. That maybe you're interested in partnering and walking with someone who is hurting in this world, who is in this decision-making time and they need the love and encouragement and support of one who follows Jesus. If that's you, please take the step to talk to them, to ask them, to just take that baby step and allow God to move in your life. And I'll just say this, there isn't a person here who doesn't have another step to take. If you need to be connected, go to Connection Central. If you need something to talk to or figure it out, we're here to pray with you and to talk with you. And so, as you go, embrace the hope, embrace the truth. We serve a mighty, mighty God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may you go. Amen and amen. Blessings.